the following message entitled, Our New Freedom in Christ, part 18 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Mark Altrogi on June 8, 2014 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first Sunday, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us this morning. And if you, if you can, join us on the 4th of July. We have here in Indiana at Mack Park on the 4th of July, one of the finest fireworks displays you will see. Last year, Tony and Maria's son, Angelo, he got married on the 4th of July, right? The 5th of July. That's right. Got married on the 5th of July, but, but many of the guests came to the fireworks, and there were guests from Houston, Texas, and New York City, and all kinds of places. And so as I was meeting some of these guests the night before, I was saying, because it was the 4th of July, the fireworks are about ready to start, and so I said to this guy from Houston, I said, I am sure you have never seen a fireworks display like what you're about to see. I said, sometimes they even shoot off two at a time. And, and I remember when the fireworks was over, I think I heard somebody say, is that it? <laughs> so we really gather just for the fun of it and the friendship, fellowship, So, uh, but come if you can, it'll be fun. All right, this morning's message is entitled, Our New Freedom in Christ, Our New Freedom in Christ, and I recently saw the movie, Twelve Years a Slave. Any of you see that movie? It's a powerful movie. It's about a black man, Solomon Northup, who in 1841, he lived with his wife and children in Saratoga, New York, as a free man, and he earned a living as a violinist. And he accepts this out-of-town music gig with these guys he doesn't know very well, and, and he is as excited about playing this gig, and he winds up being drugged and sold as a slave in the Deep South. And at first he thinks he'll get out of it if he just cooperates. But cooperation doesn't get him anywhere, and often gets him into worse trouble. And for 12 years, he's at the mercy of cruel masters, and he must do whatever they demand. And eventually, it's through the kindness of a stranger that he's rescued from his slavery and returned home to his family. And as we have been studying the book of Romans, we've seen that we too once were slaves. We too had cruel masters. Now what is really interesting to me is that most people think they're free. At least in this country, most people think, hey, I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm the master of my fate. I can do whatever I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. But in reality, everyone apart 
from Jesus Christ is a slave. And if you're beginning to feel like you're a slave, if you've never put your whole faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and if you're beginning to realize you're a slave, that's a good thing. Because most people don't know it. Now I said cruel masters. The first cruel master is sin itself. Sin promises us joy and pleasure. Hey, come with us on this out-of-town music gig. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. You're going to make a lot of money. And then sin drugs us and kidnaps us and enslaves us. Romans tells us that before Jesus saves us, we are hopeless slaves to sin. We can't escape it. We can't overcome it on our own power. And as Solomon Northup found himself under different masters, so too we find ourselves under the master of sin. We also find ourselves under another master, the law. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, and we will begin at verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is, rest, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to thank You that You have set us free. We thank You. You have set us free from sin and its cruel domination of our lives. And You've also set us free from the law. We ask You, Lord, to, to teach us what that means this morning and help us to understand that and help me to teach it rightly, Lord, and accurately. And I pray, Jesus, that the result of this morning as we hear Your Word, that, that we would all be even further set free and encouraged that we're set free. And that those who didn't know this will be set free this morning, Jesus. Oh Lord, please come and work powerfully by Your Holy Spirit as we look at Your Word. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask. Amen. 
So our death in Christ, our death in Christ, frees us from sin and the law to serve God in the power of the Spirit. So this is, this is talking about how we serve God. We can try to serve God in our own power. We can try to serve God in the flesh. Or we can serve God in a new way by the Spirit. And Paul is, is concerned and God is concerned that we understand this. Because you may be a born-again believer, but if you try to serve God in your own power by keeping the law, you're still going to experience slavery. So the last few weeks we've learned an important truth. Believers in Jesus Christ are no longer under the dominion of sin. So Romans 6.6 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You do not have to be a slave of sin. We don't have to be slaves of sin. That sin nature was crucified with Jesus so that eventually it will be brought to nothing. But we are no longer enslaved to sin. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We're born with a sinful nature. Sin dwells in our flesh, in these bodies. It lies dormant for a while when we're children, but eventually sin wakes up and begins to act itself out and pursue its passions in the members of our body. Our hands, our eyes, our ears, our, our whole bodies. Sin is there. And it has dominion over us until Jesus saves us. Given enough time, even though, even though a little baby is not sinning, given enough time, we all sin. We all come under the dominion of sin. Sin drives us and controls us and we're powerless to defeat it or overcome it. But when God saves us, He joins us to Jesus. He joins us to Jesus' life and His death on the cross. And so because we're joined to Jesus' death, since He died to sin, we die to sin. Now Jesus never sinned. But he was tempted to sin. But when he died on the cross, that was it. He was done with any temptation to sin. He was done paying for sins. He was done bearing our sins when he died on the cross. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was finished with sin in every respect. And so we heard last week, Bob said, we're to, we're to consider ourselves. The Bible says, Bob taught, that the Bible says because we're joined to Christ and His death, we're to consider or reckon ourselves to be dead to sin as well. We may still feel the urge to sin. That's why we have to remember and reckon and consider that we're dead to sin. So when we're tempted to sin, even though we feel like we've got to do it, even though it feels strong, we need to say, no, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. I'm dead to that now. 
I'm living a new life now. Christ is my life now. And if we choose to sin, even though we don't have to, if we choose to sin, it leads us back into death and slavery and misery again. So we need to remember and recall and remind ourselves and reckon and consider, I am dead to sin. I'm not going to give in to it. I don't want to pursue it. I want to flee from it. I want to get out of here when I'm tempted to sin. I want to turn to Jesus. I want to pray for help. Because we're freed from its dominion. But not only are we freed from the dominion of sin, we are freed from the dominion of the law. So, as I read earlier, Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So, sin and law are sort of tied together in a way. Though sin is evil and the law is good. The law says, don't do this. Sin says, oh yeah, do it. It'll be fun. The law says, no, don't do it. Sin says, do it. And then when we sin, it violates the law, and then the law condemns us and fills us with guilt. So sin and the law operate together in a sense. They're opposites, but they work together, and we're under the under the dominion of both of them before Jesus. And so we, we know what we should do, and yet we sin, and then we come under the condemnation of the law. So we can't escape that. The law is God's standards and commands. And, and whether you know the Ten Commandments or not, we all have God's law written on our conscience. The law of conscience means God's written His laws on our hearts. We know it's wrong to kill, to steal, to lie. Yet Romans 1 says, all of us, all men suppress God's truth and we plunge headlong into sin. Now God also gave Israel the written law. He, he, he expounded and He wrote out what was right and wrong. And it was a good thing. Romans 7.12 says, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, now here's, here's the thing. The law is good. The only problem is, it tells us what to do, but it doesn't give us any power to obey it. And sin gets stirred up by the law. The Bible says, when we fail to obey the law, the law doesn't give us any power to obey it. It tells us what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do, but it doesn't help us. It doesn't lift a finger to help us. And then when we violate it, it comes right there to condemn us. You're wrong. You blew it. You're under judgment. This passage we looked at says that until Jesus saves us, we're all under the law. We're under the dominion of the law. We're bound to the law. We're married to the law. We're under obligation to it. Yet we have absolutely no power to keep it. And because sin dwells in us, the law has the effect of stirring up sin in us. It's kind of like if you see a, a, a wet paint, do not touch sign. You know, there's the law, and what does that make you want to do? It makes me want to touch the paint. See, it the, the law has this, the, the sin is so evil, sin is so evil that it takes something good and holy, the law, and it arouses, the law arouses it. So then, 
then we, once we touch that paint, the law declares us guilty. We're under condemnation. What are we going to do? We're under the dominion of sin and we're under the dominion of the law. But we're getting to the place where Paul's going to say we're no longer. We're free. But I want to, I want to tell you how this worked in my life. In 1973, I had been becoming more and more guilt-ridden. God was working in my life, I believe. He, uh, I, I bought a, a paperback Bible someone recommended. I was beginning to read that certain things were sin. I read that drunkenness was a sin, and I was, I was drunk every day. I got drunk every single day. I read that immorality was a sin. I was in a, a relationship with a, a young lady that wasn't good, and I was enslaved to, I was enslaved to this sin of alcohol especially, and I, I knew God's law. I knew that drunkenness was a sin, but I kept on doing it. And every, Every day I'd wake up, I'd be condemned and guilt-ridden because when you break the law, it condemns you. I was a slavery to sin. I was a slave to sin. And when I'd sin, I'd break the law, and then the law would condemn me. And I, I had no power to overcome this. Every morning when I'd wake up, you know, there was a country song once, I'm sick and tired of waking up sick and tired. Every morning I'd wake up sick. And I'd say, I'm quitting. I'm not going to go to the bars again tonight. But by 10 o'clock at night, I'd start to feel pretty good again. And I'd find myself on my way downtown again. And then I'd feel miserable the next day. So then I had this plan. I said, okay, I'm going to overcome this. I'm only going to have four beers for the whole night when I go into the bar. So I'd go into the bar and... I'd have four beers, and I'd be sitting there bored out of my mind while everybody else is drinking, and, all right, give me another one. Pretty soon, I'd have eight beers, ten beers. Next, next resolution, I'd say, okay, I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to only have one beer an hour. They tell me that, that, you know, you won't get drunk if you just have one beer per hour. So I'd go up there, and I'd have a beer, and I'd down it in 20 minutes, and I'd be there... You know, my friends are all drinking and partying, and, you know, that, that didn't work either. And I just was so miserable. And, and, and being the good Roman Catholic that I was, you've heard me say this before, I started going to confession every single week. I got so guilt-ridden that the one pastor would know who I was because I was confessing the same sins every week. I started going one week to him and one week to the young guy over here. And then I started feeling so guilty, I'd go one week to this guy, one week to this guy, and then I'd drive to Climber on the third week and confess sin to an old guy there who'd never know me. See, I could not escape sin. I could not escape the condemnation of the law of God's commands. I was trying to in my own strength. I mean, I was going to a Bible study, I was hearing God's Word, I'm not sure if I was born again or not. I think I may have been from the first time I prayed that prayer in 73, in, this, in August of 73. But for a year, I lived like this. And it was, it was miserable. And God was showing me, I didn't realize it, that I could not escape the dominion of sin or the dominion of the law in my own power. But then I found out, praise God, I found out eventually that our death in Christ, 
Our death in Christ frees us from the rule and dominion of sin and the dominion of the law in order to serve God in the power of the Spirit, which I never knew about. So first of all, how do we escape the dominion of the law? Well, earlier in Romans 6, we learned that we escape the dominion of sin through the death of Christ. Because He died to sin, we died to sin. Same thing. Same principle. We escape the dominion of the law through the death of Christ. And so 7.1 says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So Paul says, I- I'm talking to you, you people who know the law. Jewish believers, but also Gentile believers. We know the law of God is binding on us while we're alive. He says, but the law is only binding on a person as long as he lives. So all the things that the law commands, all the things it says to do, all the things the law says not to do, when we break the law, we're condemned, we're under judgment, except when we die. When we die... We're not going to be breaking the law. When we die, we're done with the law. The only way to escape it is by dying, by death. A death has to happen. And so Paul compares it to the law of marriage. The law of marriage only applies while the married couple is alive, while both parties are alive. So he says in verse 2, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. She's under the rule of the law of marriage. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So as a pastor, when I marry people, they take vows to be faithful to one another. Richer, poorer, sickness, health, till death do us part. See, when one of them dies, their marriage is done. And the other one, if they would want, would be free to be remarried. See, death ends the relationship to the law of marriage. Death ends that law for that person. Paul says, this is how it is with God's law. We're bound to it. We're married to it. And as long as we're alive, we're not free to belong to another. Now here's the only problem. The law ain't going to die. God's law is not going to die. So what has to happen? We have to die. We have to die. In the first, first part of the analogy, and Paul's not calling for a real strict interpretation he's saying that you know in the first one the husband dies the wife is free we're married to the law the law is not going to die so our only hope is that we would die we're married to it we're not free until we die the law is our husband and the law is an exacting demanding perfectionist husband he requires perfect complete exact obedience and he doesn't lift a finger to help us Imagine being married to a husband like that. Maybe some of you are thinking, I am. No, I'm just kidding. Hope not. (laughs) So we're married to this husband, the law, and the law isn't going to die. 
And the law doesn't help us. Jesus, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you lay heavy burdens on men's backs and you don't lift a finger to help them. That's the way the law is. It lays a heavy burden on our back, but it doesn't give us any power to do it. So we've got to get out of this marriage. What's, what a miserable life trying to keep the impossible requirements of the law. But we, we can't do it. So, the law isn't going to die, but Paul says this in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You died. When Jesus died, because you're one with Jesus, you died. You died to this, this husband who's always making these incredible demands and not helping you. You died to him so that you can be married to another. So that you can be married to Jesus who rose from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So we are freed. So he says we died to the law so that one we may belong to another, Jesus. And two, we may bear fruit for God. This is why God saved us. See, Paul is telling us why God saved us. Here's why Jesus died. Here's why God joined us to Jesus. To free us from sin and the law so that we could be married to Jesus, so that we could belong to Him. Paul says, belong to Him belong to another, and in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, think about this. We who have put our faith in Jesus, we belong to Him. We belong to Him. This is, this is very important to remember. We are married to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians six fifteen through 17 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now even our physical bodies belong to Christ. They're members of Christ. They're part of Christ's body. He says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? See, whatever you do in your body now because you are one with Christ, you are making Christ do. And if you do some wicked thing like become one with a prostitute, you are, you are committing this unthinkable sin. So he says, never! And he says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. We are so much one with Christ that Paul says if you do something bad with your body, you're doing it to Jesus. See, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We're joined to the Lord. Who, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Ephesians 5, 23 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. The church, every believer, 
is part of Christ's body. See, we're not just members of a club. When Jesus saves us, it's not like we join the Lions Club. We are one with Jesus. When you join a club, you're not one with them physically, mentally, spiritually. But we're one with Jesus. We are His body. So, we no longer belong to ourselves. We can't just do what we want. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is living in your body through the Holy Spirit. And then he says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're not your own. I'm not my own. We must obey Jesus. He is our Lord. He doesn't just save us and say, okay, I saved you, now go do whatever you want. No. We we can't just live independently. We can't just go out and sin with our bodies because we're doing it to Jesus. This is this is so important. Some some of you young people you say I I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus with all my heart. Well, that means you can't just go out and sin and do whatever you want. None of us can. I'm including old people as well. But we belong to Jesus. So we must glorify God in our body. He says, glorify God in your body. Not just with your mind. Oh yeah, I, I love Jesus with my mind. I go on Sundays, I listen, I sing, but with my body I'm going to do other stuff during the week. No. No, we must glorify God with our bodies. He didn't save you so that you can have a great life apart from Him. No. We belong to Jesus, and that means He can do whatever He wants with us. He, can tell, he has a right to tell us how to live. And we need to live as He tells us in His Word. And we have the power now. See, David, in Acts 13.36, it says, David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. God doesn't save us to serve our own purposes. He saves us to serve Jesus. So if you have called upon Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus, if you said, Jesus, I believe in You, I believe You died on the cross, paid for my sins, then the next thing you need to do is say, Lord, what is Your purpose for my life? I want to serve Your purpose. I want to serve the purpose of God. I belong to you, Jesus. I'm yours. Just You just tell me what to do. I want to live a life that pleases you. I want to glorify you with my body. And then he says, Jesus saved us so that we may bear fruit for God. So in verse 4 he says, Likewise, my brothers, you have died. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. God didn't save us just so that we belong to Him only. He didn't say, okay, now you belong to Me. 
No, you belong to me in order that you might bear fruit for me. See, that's what God has for our lives. That's what God wants me to do. That's what God wants every single one of you to do. Every one of you teenagers, if you have turned to Jesus, then you, you are not your own and Jesus saved you to bear fruit for Him. Not just to belong to Him. Jesus said in John fifteen sixteen, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. See, we think, oh, you know what? I got so desperate, I prayed to receive Jesus. Well, maybe that's true. I, did. I was desperate, I prayed to receive Jesus, but He would say this, Mark, you think you chose Me? You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I chose you so that you might bear fruit and that it might remain. Oh, you mean I didn't just choose you so I'd get my life together and I wouldn't be so miserable? No. <laughs> I chose you so that you'd bear fruit. That's what God wants of us. He doesn't want us to be passive. He doesn't want us to say, oh, I'm saved. I don't have to do a thing now in my life. I can just relax. I'm saved. Woo! I am safe. I am going to heaven. Oh, man, I escaped hell. I can just relax now. No. You're supposed to bear fruit now. You're supposed to start looking around for ways to serve others. You're supposed to start praying and asking God to help you and make you fruitful. Gives us the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So be active. We're supposed to do things. We're supposed to serve others. We're supposed to take action. We're supposed to serve your dad and mom. We're supposed to serve your wives, husbands. We're supposed to serve and bear fruit. I am too. I'm, every time I say you, I'm including myself in it. And God has promised us that if we pursue Him and if we lay down our lives and if we go for it in Jesus, we will bear fruit. He's given every believer at least one gift. Most of us have more than one gift. And like the, the parable of the master and the, and the servants, he gave, he gave one servant ten talents, one servant five talents, one servant two talents or one talent. And they, the first two went out and put them to work. The first two went out and started doing something with their lives. And they came back. They doubled it. And they came back and said, Master, you gave me ten. I'm bringing you ten more. And he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Second one says, I gave, I gave, You gave me five. I brought back five more. Well done. That's, what you, that's why I gave you those. The last servant says, I took your talent, your one talent you gave me, and I buried it in the ground. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. Should have invested it in a bank or something. Give me a little interest on it. Now, the thing that's such a good news is it's a new day. Now we can do this. Now we can bear fruit for God. So verse 5 says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit 
and not in the old way of the written code. We serve by the power of the Holy Spirit. We serve by, by following the Spirit, by obeying the Spirit, by being filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our strength now. The Holy Spirit isn't like the law that didn't lift a finger to help us. The Holy Spirit moves us. The Holy Spirit gives us the power. He says, I'll help you please God. I will help you bear fruit. Now, it's, it, this, is, this is good news. He says, when we were living in the flesh, three things happened. He says, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Our sinful passions were at work in our members, and we bore fruit for death. So while we were trying to keep the law in our own power, when we'd hear the law, that would stir up sinful passions. In Romans 7, 7 and 8, Paul says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet or lust if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. When I was, when I was recently, a few weeks ago, over, over in uh, the UK, my friend Pete Greasley took me and Dave Harvey to the oldest university in the UK. I believe he said it was the oldest. It had something to do with C.S. Lewis. I can't remember if C.S. Lewis taught there or went there. But there was this grassy, huge grassy courtyard in the middle of all these old buildings. This, this grassy courtyard was about as big as this, this main part of the room. Just beautiful green grass. And Pete Greasley, the pastor from the UK, said, only fellows could walk on the grass. And a fellow is like some specially recognized professor over there. And if you're not a fellow, you're not allowed to walk on the grass. And the minute he said that, you know what I felt like? I can walk on this grass. I'm a fellow. You know, the law stirs up something within us. The law stirs up sin within us. I felt like, what are they going to do, arrest me? What if I just did this? (laughs) <laughs> that's what I felt like doing I didn't but uh, so the law stirs up sin we're born, it says it, sinful passions were at work in our members our bodies our passions sin has desires sin has passions when, when you feel like man I, I, I want to do this that's sin if it's something wrong it's sin exercising a desire in, in our bodies. It, it feels like it's us. We're born that way. Sin exercises its passions and desires through our eyes, through our ears, through our tongues. We sin with our bodies. And then it says we bore fruit for death. Sin produced impurity and immorality and selfishness and pride and anger, and all kinds of bad fruit in our lives. But he says, but now, it's a new day, verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Now, we serve in a new way. Not by trying to keep the law in our own strength, but by the Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 25-27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, 
and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the new way of living for Jesus is the Spirit of God is in us and He's moving us to do good things and to bear fruit for God and to obey and avoid sin. He convicts us of sin. He speaks to us. He urges us. He leads us. Romans 8, 13 and 14 says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. In other words, if we keep on doing what our bodies want to do, these urges towards wrong things, we will die. We'll experience spiritual death. But he says, for all who are led, but he, but he says, but if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will say, don't do that. The Holy Spirit will convict us. The Holy Spirit will say, this is wrong and you know it. I mean, there have been times, there have been times when I've said something to somebody and immediately, right after I said it, the Holy Spirit says, you shouldn't have said that. And I know it. It's not because the law said it. I mean, I, I know that it's wrong to do that, but the Spirit of God is working in me. And so right at that moment, I have a choice. I, say, I can either be led by the Spirit, I can sow to the Spirit, or I can sow to the flesh. And so God gives me the grace, though, if, if, I, if I keep pursuing Him, to immediately obey the Spirit and say, okay, Holy Spirit, by Your power now, I can ask forgiveness. Would You please forgive me for saying that? I'm not doing that in my own power. It's this power of the Spirit. And He's right there to help us. He's dwelling in us. He leads us. Convicts us of sin so we can turn away from it. And we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. In other words, we don't do them. We turn away from them. We stop doing them. We ask forgiveness when we do them. We put to death sin. Say something smart to your dad or mom. You make a disrespectful comment. The Holy Spirit says, you shouldn't have said that. You, you need to immediately sow to the Spirit and say, Dad, would you please forgive me for saying that? I was wrong to say that. Parents, you too. Get angry with your children. Spirit of God shouldn't be, shouldn't be angry. Oh, please forgive me for being angry. I was wrong to be angry. It's just... Numerous examples we could give, but the Spirit of God is leading us. It's by His power we can put sin to death. We put the, these, the, the things our bodies want to do by, to death by the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit brings, brings God, God's Word to our minds. So it's very important that we be reading God's Word on a regular basis, taking in God's Word, listening to God's Word on a regular basis, because the Spirit of God will bring it back to me. Recently, somebody was giving me a hard time about something. I felt like responding in anger, and the Holy Spirit brought God's Word to me in James. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness God requires. So, having God's Word, the Holy Spirit can bring it to my mind. A gentle answer turns away wrath from Proverbs. 
And so God gave me the grace, the Holy Spirit gave me the grace to respond with gentleness to this unbeliever who was saying tempting things to me. I'm not saying I'm always totally successful. Don't, don't get me wrong. But this is how we, we live. We live by, by following the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. And so Galatians 6.8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So sowing, sowing is active. Sowing is doing something. Being a Christian doesn't mean we don't do anything. Sowing to the Spirit means we do what God wants us to do. We reach out to that person. We encourage that person. We ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me love this person who's, who's just really just making these demands of me right now. I don't have any love for this person in myself. Holy Spirit, help me to love them. And He will! He will! I can tell you because I've been attempting to follow the Spirit for 30-some years. And I can tell you the Holy Spirit helps us. That's what it means to sow to the Spirit. It means take action. Do what the Spirit says. Forgive that person. Turn off that bad television show. Bless a person rather than cursing him. Read God's Word. Thank God. Praise Him. Last week, Bob read this quote from John Bunyan. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the Gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. God will give you the power you need if you will turn to Him. So, once we were under the dominion of sin, we died to sin through Jesus' death. Once we were under, under the dominion of the law, we died to the law through Jesus' death. Now we belong to Jesus, if, if, if we belong to Jesus. Ask yourself this morning, do I belong to Jesus? Have you put all your faith have you put all your trust and all your hope in what Jesus did in His life and His death and His resurrection? If so, you belong to Jesus. Some of, you, some of you may not know if you belong to Jesus. If not, call out to Him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have called on Jesus and believe in Him, now you can bear fruit for God. God's going to start producing fruit. If you say, how do I bear fruit for God? Just look for somebody to serve. Just look for some way to serve somebody. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or not. Start serving. Start sowing to the Spirit. And He will produce and fruit in your life and give you the power to obey. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just I thank you so much for this church because you really have done this over the years in so, so many people's lives, Lord. You have produced fruit. I, I get to see it all the time as one of the pastors here, Lord. I'm so grateful that I get to see the work of the Spirit changing lives. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give people hope right now and faith that they can change, that they can bear fruit for you. And Lord, if any have been trying to just do this on their own, own willpower, Lord, I pray that You would just give them fresh hope. 
in the power of the Spirit today, Lord. Lord, we just ask You to, to fill us with joy this afternoon, Lord, knowing that we live in a new way, the way of the Spirit, and we bear fruit for God. Thank You for doing that for us, Jesus. How can we thank You enough for all Your kindness to us? In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.